A very warm welcome if this is your first time around us. My name is Adrian. I'll be taking us through this next part of our gathering. Uh, if this isn't your first time around, you're very warmly welcomed as well. And what I'd encourage you to do is take your drinks back to your seats. Say, hey, man, we must continue this conversation at the end because we don't want to miss out on being together. Um, today, as Mike said, Caesar start this new series, which we'll be, cover we're kind of be tracking over the next kind of five weeks or so. Uh, which we've entitled Sabbath Rhythms of Rest. And in it, what we're going to be doing is looking at this ancient practice of weekly taking a day to pause that's given this word of Sabbath and seeing that it allows us uh, to enjoy what it means to live in the light and life of what Jesus provides for us. Now, with all that in mind, you think, well, that, that sounds kind of nice, but the reality is Sabbath just sounds kind of a word that does sound a bit ancient and maybe kind of a bit done. And maybe we're sat in those two parameters. Maybe we're in a, a point of saying, well, it just surely is about rules. Or maybe we're at the other end and saying, well, surely it's just irrelevant. See, I can think back in terms of rules. I had the privilege of being brought up within a, f a family home where uh, my parents were followers of Jesus. And so from the moment I started to understand, I was continuously being revealed in terms of what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus and how that could shape your life differently, an utter privilege. But within it, we also had to have this special day, a special day that just turned out to be Sundays. And on Sunday, there were loads of things you could do and couldn't do. And my mum and dad and I often laugh about these things. I remember, and it's still branded in my mind, of there becoming a Sunday where we were allowed, my brother and I, for the first time, to wear jeans. <laughs> like, it was radical. Like, we could wear jeans on a Sunday. And I remember us going to the church that we belonged to at that point, and my brother and I were kind of rocking up in our denim. And we were it. We thought, life doesn't get any better than this. We've got our jeans on. And then at the end of the morning, on the highs of living with our jeans on, we went out into the car park of the church and we found the tree. And with the freedom the denim provided, we climbed the tree. And I remember my dad coming out and pointing at the tree and said, get out of that tree. That's exactly why I didn't want you to wear jeans. <laughs> I remember thinking, I don't understand but there was something that had got a bit warped in terms of this want to say, maybe there could be this day that's special, but let's put loads of rules around it that kind of make it more special than all the other days that meant like wearing jeans could mean you could climb a tree, that that may not be great. On the other side, you can get to that point of irrelevance and think, yeah, but we're free. We're followers of Jesus. We're, we're those that now get to enjoy just the richness of the life that he has to offer. And if Sabbath, as we're going to see, is about a pause and a rest, actually, we're enabled to live in a life that is governed, characterized by rest. Therefore, why on earth are we talking about this ancient Jewish practice? It has no relevance to us, surely. Surely, we're expected to go for something higher and better. Or maybe we look at it and say, if you're getting to a point, agent, say, I want us to encourage us to live with a rhythm where one day a week we stop. That is unbelievably not just irrelevant, but utterly stupid. Because you just don't understand what my life looks like. It's all right for you, Adrian. You're like employed by the church. You're paid to have these sort of days off. 
But if you live in the real world, you can't just stop. I want us to see, actually, that whether we kind of get to that point of saying it just feels like it's about rules, or whether we're at this end where it feels like it's irrelevant, actually, Jesus, as always, says, no, no, this isn't something I want us to forget. I want us to get hold of. Because, actually, it's in this moment of understanding there is an invitation for our good to enjoy something called Sabbath, that it allows us to taste and see something that gives us this experience of the wonder of what it means to follow Jesus. And I just wonder that in the society we live in, with all of the complexities that are there in a 24-7 culture where, as I often joke, that I can go out at 3 a.m. on any morning and buy cherry tomatoes, that maybe a bunch of people who seek to say one day a week we stop with purpose. Maybe that might cause others around us to taste and see something that is good and causes them to then think maybe there's something else here. Maybe the world's not meant to be non-stop. And maybe the practice of Sabbath is as radical as being what Jesus called us to be salt and light to cause others to taste and see that he is good and so it's that in mind that I want us to be looking at Sabbath and with it what we're going to see and if I give us a working definition of Sabbath then by a guy called A.J. Swoboda who you'll find that through this series I continuously quote as you're going to find out why in a moment but he says this Sabbath is celebration a day of rejoicing over the goodness of what has been made and who made it. Man, I don't know about you, but that sounds a bit more exciting than should I or shouldn't I wear jeans or hey, I can't stop at all. Now, this is a day where we get to celebrate, rejoicing over the goodness of everything we see around us and the one who's behind it. Now, this guy, A.J. Suboda, wrote a book which I want to recommend, and it's called Subversive Sabbath. I would go as far as to say this is the best book that I've read this year. Uh, I read a number of books. Uh, I love reading. I didn't used to. I do now. And this is an exceptional book. And for those who are regulars at Oasis, know what's coming. It is that if it's good enough to recommend, it's good enough too. There we go. I, the Innes, though, is an excellent book. Like, literally, you can just see my highlights all the way through. But I get halfway through the book, and I was already convinced that this was a book to give away. It was so good. And then I read this by this guy, based in Portland, Oregon, which at the moment seems to be the Christian hot pot of like all kind of thoughts that are going on. I, everyone I'm being influenced at the moment is from Portland. I think I don't know what's going on there. Insignificant place. God uses the things that are not to confound everyone who is. And anyway, he gets to this point. He says, I began caring for creation because I hiked the woods outside Birmingham during my PhD studies in Britain and came to love it. Man, I'm there, and it's just that, and the book fell to the floor, and it was his revelation. Birmingham is God's city. The 
So often I'm told by people who live in places where there aren't people but just seem to be sheep who come and talk to me and say, hey, but you live in a city and what does that teach you about the wonder and nature of God? And I look and I think, no, this is a city like no other where people can come from overseas and as they live in this city and walk around the Licky Hills, as that's the only woods I can think of, and <laughs> it causes them to suddenly wonder at the God who created and his creation and change their whole being to say, now I'm going to take care of it. Man, what a city we live in. Anyway, good enough to recommend, good enough to give away. Therefore, if you are sat on a chair and in front of you is a like home card, one of these, you get the book. Just so you know, there will be three others given away, two in the afternoon, one next Sunday, if we could pass that back to Sarah. Uh, the rest of you, you can, you can either mug her on her way out to try and get it off her, or maybe ask kindly. You can borrow mine at some point, but not for five weeks, as I still need it for that period. Um, but it is an exceptionally good book. Okay, so where are we going to go then? So what we're going to do through this series is we're going to base ourselves in a story, in a moment uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, where Jesus is confronted by the authorities of the day in respect to Sabbath and the observance or non-observance that he is making of it. And what we're going to do is we're going to camp out in here and use this passage as a springboard to enable us to see the wonder and beauty of what we're being invited into. And so Matthew says this, at the time Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. That's why you don't wear jeans. He answered, Haven't you read, just so you know, I'm not having a go at my dad. I don't want to feel that. It was just a different day. We've changed. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, dun, 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 which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Well, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. As we use this passage as our springboard, what I'm hoping we're going to see over the next kind of five weeks is a number of things. Firstly, we're going to see that Sabbath is about an invitation. It has a master. It is about God, us, and others. And when we get to that last week, it is mind-blowing how that others includes everyone else. It's not just about me, which is so important in an individualistic culture. But it's not just about humans. It's about the whole of creation, which is pretty big. How on earth are we going to do that in a week? I don't know. But we'll see what we do. That's why we need to read the book. Um, so Sabbath is about those five things. So today, though, I want to pick up on Sabbath is about an invitation. So in Matthew 12... One to four, it says, at that time Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to them, look, or said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. You see, at this moment, what happened is the people of God, the Jews, had understood that God had ordained to be this day that there were men to rest. 
And they knew it was going to be for something that was good. But they thought, but what if we don't do it then? And as so often happens, that we hear that God has made something good, and then either we kind of subtract or add to it. And at this moment, what the people of God were doing was adding to what God had said. God had said, rest for a day, don't work. And what they did is then said, well, if we're going to rest for the day, we must add in all of these other rules to ensure that everyone does rest. So we can guarantee it. And the rest looks like this. Whoever you are, blanket statement. It was kind of a moment like, I don't know, it's like you've got keep off the grass. And so you build a fence around the grass. And then what you do is you start putting signposts, let's say it's Cannon Hill Park, all around the edge of the park telling you to keep off the grass. And you think, but there's a fence all the way around. That means I can't even get on the grass. And then from there, you then continue to build signposts throughout the city until you get to a point on the edge of Birmingham where you're greeted not with welcome to Birmingham, with a sign that just says, keep off the grass. And that's what had happened at this point. And so Jesus is with his followers, and his followers are hungry. And so they want to eat, and so they take some grain and start to eat it. And the Pharisees, who are kind of following on, you know, they wanted to check out Jesus, but not in terms of have you got something good, but rather how can we find you out? And at this moment, they're finding out, is, hey, isn't there a thing, the rule is that you're not going to thresh? Because that's kind of working. These guys are working. And Jesus is like, man, you've missed the point. And so he continues and says, he answered, haven't you read what David did? See, Jesus doesn't go straight in. He kind of tells them a story, a story they're familiar with. What David did when he and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God and he ate his companions he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do. Sorry, what have I said? He didn't eat his companions. Because that would have been wrong. Let's, let's get that clear. Thank you for picking up on that. He ate his no. He and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. See, Jesus reminds of this story. You know, David, hero of the nation. The one that everyone holds up. He's the king that is always to be seen as the role example, role model, example. And Jesus says, hey, you're, you're kind of knocking these guys. And this is nothing compared to what David did. Like, David and his friends were hungry, and so they went and ransacked the temple, took the bread that no one was going to take. And yet you say, that was Okay. Why is Jesus saying that? He's not wanting to say, hey, you think this, I'm now going to make you confused by that. No, he's saying, no, I want to get to the heart of what Sabbath is all around. So, about, so in Mark, it actually then finishes off this story, in Mark 2.27, by Jesus saying this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's the point of the story. The point was here, David and his friends were hungry. And therefore, they were given permission for their needs to be met. That Jesus' disciples were hungry. And that is far more important than saying, no, 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 there's rules here. And the point of this day is Jesus is saying, no, no, this is something that was created for humanity's good. Not to weigh people down with rules and regulations. That's what God's heart is here. So 
what is it then that was created? Created for our good. Well, for that we have to jump back right to the very beginning of the story in Genesis 2, uh, verse 2 to 3. And it says this, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Right, now discipline, don't read the quote, just for a moment. We know, because we did start this year, looking at Genesis 1 to 3, that Genesis 1 to 3 isn't giving us a detailed way of how everything was created. It's giving us this account of why and by who everything was created. But within it, it's framed within these days in order that we'd understand that as well as everything that God created for our good and flourishing, and there was ways in which God created in order that humanity and the whole of creation would flourish, God also created time. And so the, the whole account is given through days in order that we could look in and say, oh yeah, because God creates the time, a pan of weeks, seven days, in order that humanity, in order that the whole of creation would flourish. And within that seven days, the seventh day was revealed as distinct, different, holy to all of the others. Because on that day, that was the day that God organized everything and said, no, this is the day that there's to be rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. So that in this, Swoboda says this, just as God created the world out of love, God enters into the Sabbath in love. In keeping a day of rest, God shows humanity the way life is supposed to be lived. Even if he himself did not actually need it, God rests to be a good model. Just be clear, like, isn't it God's creating and then says, right, seventh day, boy, am I tired. Let's put my legs up. No, no, it's not that. It's that God has created something that is going to flourish, and he's defining how it is going to flourish. And how part of that is going to be is through him modeling, for this to work, everything needs to rest. And I'm going to model what that looks like. As the invitation then is for us to understand that there is a way to live that will cause us good and to flourish. And that is six days, six days you work, one day you stop. See, what's amazing here is that on the sixth day, what's modeled is God creates us, humanity. So the whole of humanity, in terms of Adam and Eve, is created, what's going to flood out from them. And the first thing they're invited to do isn't to work and take care of the garden and to flourish and multiply. No, the first thing they're invited to do is to rest. That's the first invitation. Man, doesn't that tell you about something of the kind of God we're being invited into relationship with? I don't know who you think God is. Maybe you've come this morning, you're trying to discover this thing. I'll tell you who God is. God's the God who created weekends. That's a good God. He's not the God who designed us to live with Monday morning blues. No, he's the God who said, no, first day of existence, rest. Why? Well, I'd say that we see it's about three things. Three things for Adam and Eve, three things for us. Firstly, it's about value. 
I remember when each of my children were born, there was this moment where I got to hold them. They'd done nothing apart from cause Lucy to be uncomfortable for a number of months. Cost us a holiday. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, it was. The last bit was very uncomfortable. There's, um, and I held them in my hands. It wasn't arms, it was my hands. So quite tiny. And I knew that I thought they were the most amazing person they'd ever lived. And I loved them. And I'd have done anything for them. Now, if someone had come in and wanted to hit one of them with a baseball bat, I'd have handed the baby to Lucy and prevented that individual with everything that I am in order that they would know that's how their life's going to be. See, humanity enjoy their first day of rest. Why? Because God wants them to understand that their value is never going to be through what they do. It's through who they are. That God loved them because they were his handiwork. And the same is true for you and true for me, that God loves you and God values you because you are his handiwork. Maybe you're saying, well, but I'm not a follower of the Jesus. I'm not a follower of God. I don't allow him to share my life. Yeah, but God still loves you. And the thing is, the value part kind of gets broken because we know the rest of the story. That literally, having had the wonder of what we're looking at, that by chapter three of Genesis, we've then got humanity saying, hey, I think God isn't as good as he says he is. I think we can make a, a way that is better. And out of that, everything starts to break. But God doesn't give up on us because he values us. And actually, takes us through the A plan that was always there from the before creation is that Jesus, who is God, would come and live and die and rise again. Why? In order that he could lead us back into what we get to enjoy and remember in Sabbath, that we are of infinite value. And there are moments while Jesus lived that, that the father breaks in to talk about how he sees the son and he says continuously, this is my beloved, with him I am well pleased. Why is it that's there? Because Jesus knew that. Jesus has lived for eternity knowing the Father's love and delight in him. He knew that. Maybe it wasn't for Jesus' ears. Maybe it was for ours. Because just as the Father has loved the Son, he now loves you and he now loves me. That we are those that get to know that our value isn't in what we do. Our value is in how we're seen by our creator. And he is well pleased with you. He intricately loves you. As a moment, I watched the, the Shack, the film. We can talk about it at a different point. I watched the Shack, the film, the, last week. And in it, there's this line that continuously comes through. The Father, Son, and Spirit speaking over humanity. I am especially fond of you. Have you allowed that to reside in your heart? Father, Son, and Spirit, dwelling in love for all eternity, now say over you, I am especially fond of you. 
That's what value is. And the Sabbath calls us to, to live, to camp out in that place of understanding we are of value. Why? Because we have a creator who speaks it continuously over us. But it's not only about value, it's also about perspective. You see, what this moment did is it suddenly said to Adam and Eve, you're being led in, first day of enjoying everything there is, is rest. Is that for everything to work here, you know, you've been instructed to now go and multiply and be fruitful and cause the whole of creation to be fruitful. And the first day is, hey, rest. And I'm sure you're going to get on. Like, that's a job description, isn't it, and a half. Like, I'm a very focused individual. If I had someone say, right, here you go, Adrian, what you've got to do is this. Be fruitful and go and fill the whole of the earth with revealing God's goodness everywhere. I'd be like, wow, that, that's, a, that's a mission. Now, surprise, surprise, I actually have got that mission, and so have you. But the call isn't to think, right, this is down to me. Actually, the moment of perspective is this. The first day is now pause, stop. Why? Because this isn't down to you. It doesn't all rest on your shoulders. God's got this. He's the creator. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get so caught up in my own self-importance. I can get so caught up in thinking, I matter, and what I'm doing matters, which, yeah, it does, but it's, I can quickly get to a point of thinking, yeah, but it's down to me. And if I don't sort this, then it's all going to go wrong. Part of the practice of Sabbath is, yes, to know I'm valued, but yes, to know there's perspective here. God, you keep the world spinning. I don't. Jesus, you hold the whole of creation in your hands. I don't. When everything feels like it's being shaken, I don't have to fix it because, God, you're bigger. It's perspective giving. I remember when there were two moments within Oasis story. I remember one was where we were looking to move from a school in King's Heath to a new venue. And at the point where we were looking to move and try and find somewhere, I fell out of a loft and to cut a long story short, I ended up hospitalized and then bedridden for six weeks. Couldn't do anything. And in it, I remember being really frustrated, thinking, God, but I'm going to be doing this. And in it, it was like God used those six weeks to bring a Sabbath perspective. It isn't down to you, Adrian. I can do this. And to cut a long story short, what God did was something beyond what I'd have thought, is he then enabled us to meet with an 80 or 90% discount at Edgebaston Cricket Ground. All sorted within a very short period of time as God opened a door that I couldn't have done. Think of another moment where we're based at the Mac and in the July, August thinking, God, we can't keep going here. It's costing us too money. No one's enjoying it. People are starting to get itchy feet of thinking this isn't helping us feel like home. And feeling like, God, I can't fix this. And God saying, but you never could. And then within a month, God providing this space. Sabbath is meant to be there weekly to remind us that yes, we were of value, but also to bring perspective. The world works without us. 
One day we won't be here. I tell you what, it will keep going. And it's these moments, these daily rhythm, weekly rhythm moments that allow us to say, hey, perspective, God, you've got this, so I don't need to. But it's not only just about perspective. Lastly, it is about rest. God doesn't invite Adam and Eve to just do nothing. He says now, this is to be a day characterized by rest. A rest in what? A rest in relationship with God. I think so often we can think of rest as, right, okay, how am I going to do this? No, the, the fundamental starting building block is I rest in who you are, God, in my relationship that I have. I get a day to just remember the relationship I've got with you. Now, some of us think, yeah, but are we meant to do that every day? Yes. But I wonder whether just in our 24-7 world that we live in, with all the competing pressures, that sometimes we lose sight of the wonder of relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit, of what it means to be valued as we are, what it means to have that perspective out of relationships. So rest is about relationship, but it's also about enjoying creation. It's about getting out and seeing what God has made that is good, that then does us good, that recreates us. See, it isn't, and there's a danger here. When we talk about one day, we say, right, six days, work hard, work hard, work hard, and I can be part and parcel of this. Work hard, work hard, work hard, in order that I prove that now I can rest. No, no, the whole creation narrative reveals something different. Rest hard in order that you can work. And here's, here's the deal. When I'm talking on this, I'm talking to myself. I haven't got this one pinned down. I'm on a journey at the moment of trying to figure out how do I make this, how do we as a family make this work? Because I know my tendency can still be work hard, then you can afford to rest. Was actually I'm trying to structure more and more and battle with all of the things that it reveals about the ugliness of my heart. Say, no, rest hard, and then you can work. That's just the, the first part I want to look at, because it isn't just that we got created this good thing that we're to enjoy. It's also that we need to know that it then means that if we've got this good thing to enjoy, it does take planning. It does take preparation. So Exodus 28 says this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So in this, we could say, yeah, but this is one of the, com- this is one of the Ten Commandments. You know, that's the, the, the list of all lists of do's and don'ts. Let's not look at it like that. Maybe it's the list of here's how to make humanity thrive. And what you find is the first three commandments are all about how we love God. And then five to ten are all about how we love others. And the hinge point between those two is the observance of Sabbath, the importance of rest. That's interesting, isn't it? For us to love God and to love people effectively, we have to live with a Sabbath rhythm within our life. Now, in it, why does then the commandment start, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy? Because Actually, you won't ever take a Sabbath by accident. You'll never get to a point in your week think, oh, I can't believe it. I've just rested for a whole day. I just didn't expect it to happen. 
There I was, I woke up, just continued falling through my day, and somehow at the end of it, I look back and think, what a restful day. It's never going to happen. The reality is, you have to remember. Remember why. Because it's for our good, it's going to cause us to flourish, it's going to cause us to see life work. Remember what it's about. Oh, it's about remembering my value. Man, if I was to say, hey, do you want to hang out for a day? Because all I want to do is spend the whole day telling you how valuable you are. You might cringe a little bit, but I think there'd be something in you that think, man, that sounds quite a good day. Like, I've just got someone like follow me around all day just saying, you're amazingly valued. I love you so much. You are phenomenal. You are just the best of the best. I am especially fond of you. I reckon by the end of the day, you'd be like pretty tall. I would be. Man, if I had I, you know, someone following me around continue saying that, I'd be like, giant. It's like remembering why this is going to do us good. It's going to give us good in terms of perspective. Man, I thought it was all down to me. I've got to fix Hong Kong. I've got to try and fix Brexit. No. Perspective. It's about rest. It's just remembering. But then it's also about keeping. Now, that word keeping actually can also kind of use the word of preparation. The Hebrew word means both keeping and preparation. In other words, for you to do this, you have to prepare for it. It's never going to fall into it. You've got to prepare for when you're going to Sabbath. That means you've got to decide when you're going to do it. And because we live in a 24-7 culture for each and every one of us because of different commitments, that will therefore mean there'll probably be different days in which we think, this is the day. It's going to look different because of the different life stage we're at and how we involve others in it. It's going to need thought and planning of when we do it. It's going to need thought and planning of ensuring that we've got everything stacked up so we can enjoy it, which means that we do things like the food shop. Because I don't know about you, but I don't find it very rest-filled entering the corridors of Aldi or wherever you shop. I hear there are other supermarkets. Um, they just don't have a middle aisle. Um, but you've got you've to think it through and think, right, okay, what is it going to mean for me to be able to put away time that allows me to know that value, perspective, and rest? It's not going to happen by accident. I've got to plan it. And this is where we're at as a family. It's continuously looking and saying, okay, we've got to plan this in to make it happen. I've got to get things in place so people know that we're not going to be available. We're kind of trying to work out how do we do it with technology and disconnect for 24 hours. It's like looking at it. It's not going to happen by accident. It takes preparation. And the deal isn't that I then say, right, here's the list then. This is how you must prepare. Here's the day. This is the day you must take off. Because at that point, we're suddenly stumbling back into rules and regulations and don't wear jeans. And the point is that we begin to figure this out together. Why? Because it's going to do us good. Which leads us then into this place. There is an invitation. An invitation to a day of rejoicing over the goodness of what has been made and who made it. Just an aside, for some of you, you're perhaps at a stage of thinking, but I've got like tiny kids. You're in do Lally land, Adrian. 
if you think that I can do this? What if our commitment to this meant that we caused our children to live a different rhythm than the one we live? I wonder what we'd be investing into a generation that is to come up rather than what we're investing now, which is that you never disconnect and you never stop. Because as far as I see it, what we're sowing at the moment just seems to keep breeding higher and higher levels of anxiety. And to be honest, I've had enough of that. I think there's got to be something different. So I want to appeal to all of us. This is something we can grapple with, battle with. Why? Because I think it's not only to do us good, I think it's going to change the world we're living in. And maybe we'll think, but my life, what does it matter? Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed or yeast. It seems small, tiny, and insignificant. And yet from those small, tiny, and insignificant moments, it influences and shapes everything. For some of us, I don't come to bring condemnation. I come to bring liberation. The world is a man of work as it's working. We can change it. So three questions then for us to work through. This is where we get to the practice because reality is, this all sounds nice, doesn't it? But the reality is we have to kind of land it and say, how are we going to do this? So I'd say, firstly, which day will work best for you to take a Sabbath? That may take time, as in the author of the book I'm recommending, he says that, like, it may be at the moment, you you think, there's no way I could take a day off. Just take half a day. Just aim for half. Two hours. Start to extend it. Let's not jump and think, right, it's this or nothing. No, no, let's gradually build it, manageable steps. But let's go towards it because I think it will do us good. Actually, I don't think, I believe it will. Secondly, how will you prepare for it? For each and every one of us, it will mean different things. It might be, like, has ramifications on, like, housework, cleaning, food shop, planning to see people, all of these things. And thirdly, what will you do within it to enjoy the value, perspective, and rest that is on offer. Don't just start a day thinking, okay, nothing planned. How's this going to roll? And don't be purposeful within it. Why? Because God wants to do us good. Here's the deal. If you go for this, you're going to fail. How do I know that? Because I keep failing. Now, I'm not basing it on my experience. I'm basing it on reality. We're doing something that is countercultural that is beyond our reference point, which means that sometimes we kind of go away and we think, man, I thought this was going to work and it hasn't quite. The deal is, though, you don't give up. You remember why, and then you pursue it, knowing that as we fail, actually, we're learning how not to do things in order that within it we'll discover how to. And I wonder whether if we give ourselves this to, give ourselves to this, next year, I think we might look different. And I wonder what impact it will have on the lives that we draw alongside as we live this way. So there we go. I'm going to pray for us, and we're done. Jesus, I thank you for the amazing life that you afford us. And I thank you that the life you afford us isn't one that's just kind of out there in the air, but one that becomes concrete in even how we live out our life day to day. And God, we want to give ourselves, I give myself, and I pray for each of us here, that as we seek to say, how can we live in this pattern of Sabbath? I pray, God, would you invite us to the adventure? 
I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and bring hope? I pray, Holy Spirit, would you also come and cause us to taste how good it can be? And I pray as we live this way, I pray it wouldn't breed kind of sense of self-righteousness, but rather would breed this sense of invitation to one and all. Come and know the God who invented weekends. We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.